so it's a defiance area a uh, small town eight thousand nine thousand people so yeah um yeah i came here because college and wanted to pursue acting acting okay. yeah, yeah so like it's actually kind of funny because um how i became a comedian or why i started doing comedy was like when i was in high school i would i was always into like tenacious d and all that mm -hmm. stuff but uh tenacious d weird owl those were my biggest inspirations and then, you know, obviously I, I like was into Eminem because of his like talents and stuff like that. But I was more like into like the technical aspect. Okay. So like for me, I was always <laughs> like, uh, I was really good at like imitating. And so like, that's actually probably, I would say my best talent is imitating. Oh, okay. Just like do, taking something, hearing it. And then do you do accents? Uh, not, I haven't like del delved into that yet, yeah. but, um, but like. For me, it's been mostly singing growing up. Okay. And then, so I watched Tarzan the musical at my high school, and it was really good. Oh, and I was okay. a junior, and I was like, ah. But for some odd reason, uh, instead of wanting to do acting at that point, I was like, I was really into Daniel Tosh, Aziz Ansari at the time. Mm. And I was like, I want to do stand-up. Like, this makes me want to do that. Yeah. And so I got into acting the next year, and then I really got into it, got like a supporting role, had a whole monologue. It was great. Hell yeah. Uh, but yeah, I came here, did a fucking short film for a f horror festival, did a Shrek the Musical, and then I stopped. And then so, I just didn't what do What year is that? Um, hmm. The musical, I think, was when I was 21. So that was like five years ago. So, yeah. Okay. 2017-ish. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah. I started, you know, I've been doing music probably half my life. I would say I had a very weird high school situation, but uh, I didn't get serious about my career until I was probably 25. That's, you know, yeah. 26. Exactly. And like, I'm 33 now. And um, when you really... It's crazy because I, I deal with so many young people and I work with so many young artists and they start so early and they're so serious about it so early on. And like I was just fucking off like all through my early 20s and just living the super domesticated life and in serious relationships trying to be older than I was. And like then, you know, a couple of my friends passed one summer and there was just like this breaking point where I was just like, fuck this, I'm all in on this shit. Like, I'm 100% in, fuck my job, fuck all this shit. I'm gonna go out there and make it work somehow. And, um, but I wasn't ready to like quit my job right then. But I was like, I'm gonna be the shittiest, most D minus, barely passing employee, do just enough to not get fired, and then every free second of my time, I'll work on my music at my job. And I did that until they laid me off. And thank God they laid me off because I got some severance, you know, nice. and it was right around tax time. And then I had like a 16 city tour booked and most of those were paid shows. So I was like, well, I can at least make it a couple months and then I'll get a job and fucking, you know, see what's what. And then I just never really got a job after that. Nice. I just like kept it pushing. But it's weird that you wanted to get into acting because I was just thinking, you know, you had asked. Well, actually, first of all. Ask me the one question that comes to your mind when you knew I was, I was coming on the podcast. What's the one thing that you wanted to ask me? And we'll start there. Oh, okay. Uh, so let me really quick. This is not the question, but I just want to clarify. What would you say that your like main job is? Is it like a booker, promoter? Like what would you Yeah, now my chief job is I'm a booking agent. Okay. So my whole thing that i want to know because like i'm very new to the whole landscape mm -hmm. is that i want to know how do you get butts into seats 
different butts in the seats and returning butts in the seats. Mm. Like consistently. You yeah. know what I mean? Because it's like everyone talks about monthly shows. And yeah, monthly shows are cool and everything. But it's like, how can you get something successful enough to make it a weekly show? Where it's like, yeah, maybe people who came last week won't show up. But they might come, you know, two weeks out. Or, you know, but they'll tell other people and they'll come the next week. So how do you make a successful show that makes people want to I'm going to start my answer in an annoying way. Do it. But have you ever seen the movie Sicario? I have never seen movies. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. There's so many comedians that don't watch movies. I don't fucking get it, dude. I don't get it. There's a scene where uh, a woman that's a part of this task force that's hunting down these drug cartels. She's talking to this man, this mysterious man on a plane. And uh, he asked her if she's ever been to Juarez before. And she's like, uh, no, is there anything I should know? You know, or do you have any advice? And he goes... Ah, well, you're asking me how a watch works. For now, let's just try and keep an eye on the time. And what I do is keep an eye on the time. Like, there is no clear-cut, perfect path answer to making shit consistent. Okay. And working on it, you have to read the sort of social, cultural weather at the time. Ah. And it's like, I have built a lot of monthly events. Like, that is the one thing me and, and the guy I started out with we're really good at is building a brand around a show. And that's really the easiest way to do it with a monthly event is you really have a show that means something. There's some type of idea beyond it's a cool party or a bunch of hot people are there or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so um, early on when I was like a promoter, you know, because I've been a booking agent, I would say seriously, realistically for probably two years. I've been a promoter for about four or five I've been a performer for seven, eight. And, um, you know, I've seen all the layers of it and like the levels. And it's like the main thing that puts asses in seats is, is name recognition, you know? But it's also just like something that's an event, something that's not out of the ordinary. Okay. But then again, like at Scully's, like the strength of Scully's as a venue for all the shit that people talk about it is we have great residency events. You know what I mean? We have Orange Soda. We have Space Camp. Damn girl. We had Sad Boys. Rest in peace. They're gone. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a dramatic fucking situation. It was hilarious. Um, you know, we've got reggae night on Sundays. You know, residency events are reoccurring monthly things. But the strength of all those events comes from the branding of them. Okay. You know what I mean? Space Camp has merch. Orange Soda has merch. They have an aesthetic. They have a look to them. Damn girl. Same thing. Sad boys, same thing. And now if you're just talking about booking local artists and shit like that and how to bring people out, the one main factor is just fucking, that's, that's the keeping an eye on the time part is figuring out who's like NBA jam on fire. Like who's like, you play video games? Yeah. Okay. Like fighting games when you're like charged up and yep. you can do your special move. Like, Artists have that same thing. Artists get charged up and there's like this multiplier that hits when you have like that great set and then you kill the second show and you're still riding off the energy of that and it like the successes will multiply and you got to find artists in that moment and tell them like, hey, this is the right show to do, not these three shows that you just could do. Okay. In the comedy world, it's entirely different 
you'll do the three shows. Because yeah. like, comedians <laughs> can go up on stage eight times a fucking week. It doesn't yeah. matter. But in the music world, it's different. You don't want to burn your audience out. Exactly. You don't have that many new songs. Comedians can write new jokes every week. Okay. Yeah. Guys, this is Sam Rothstein. Hi. Uh, Hi fucking, yeah. Killer. Right here. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, so let's see. Uh, we, you said that we, before the podcast started, we were going to talk about, uh, so I moved to the city and I've heard so much like praise about past Columbus. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We were just talking, you said that Columbus was huge in the podcast. We had a podcast festival. You know, I heard that like comedy was popping. I heard, you know, music was you know probably even more popping than it you know is now yeah you know what's what's happening what's going on well you re like and also after this tell me how to learn to read the fucking atmosphere i mean with me man covid's a big factor obviously okay yeah covid made a lot of people very socially scared in terms of all of a sudden, when everybody was sitting at their homes, just staring at their phones, people had a lot of time on their hands to just not mind their fucking business. And performers were scared to perform during COVID. Some still are, you know. Um, and it's like that made things hostile. But like COVID, I would say realistically, it knocked out anywhere from 40 to 60% of the strength of our music scene. The comedy scene, I don't really know... I don't hear anybody complaining about that. I think yeah. the comedy scene looks fucking great. And I really admire what you guys have all done. Yeah. Um, and it was strong before. Yeah. Um, but it was a lot more insulated before. And I, I do. I, I have heard that, too. A lot of the older Columbus scenes in general were very culturally insular. And they were very based out of friend groups and stuff like that. And not to say that these weren't friend groups of very talented, you know, people, creative yeah. people. But I've just, the thing about Columbus I've noticed is people find their comfort zone and they stay there. And when it comes to people that are really trying to rise up and people that are really trying to do something bigger, um, you know, Columbus is full of people that know they're never leaving Columbus and they don't really like people that want to leave. And uh, not everybody, and but also like, Ouch. look, well, I mean, for sure, <laughs> Shots but <fired. laughs> I guess, yo, but it's just like, a lot of sense, though. I mean, yo, there's a million cities just like it. the The shame of Columbus is that like we're the second biggest city in the Midwest behind Chicago. You know what I mean? Like we're bigger than Detroit, we're bigger than Louisville, we're bigger than fucking Cincinnati, Cleveland, Buffalo. You know, like uh, we have a ton of potential here. And also, with that being said, I. I you'd be hard pressed to find a better incubator for artists. A lot of great talented artists are able to flourish in Columbus because we have a lot of the artistic infrastructure that we need. We have a lot of venues, a lot of art galleries. We have a lot of events. We have a lot of, you know, ways that people can kind of prove themselves, but we very much are a prove it city. And that can get exhausting when as an artist, you have to reprove yourself every fucking time. But back in the day, a lot of the artists that I would say were my elders, you know, the people that were, you know, 2005 to sort of 2012-ish era, um, at least in the hip-hop realm, because that's where I started, 
you know, it was a much different scene back then. And people were more cutthroat because there was a lot more industry eyes on the city than there was before. And like Columbus, I think, is a very supportive city. I owe most of my career to Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I think it's wonderful. I think the people here are a very unique breed of people. Um, and we're very, very talented and we're not afraid to express ourselves. Um, but we are, there is a fear of being a leader here. And I think what happened is a lot, of, there aren't many leaders anymore. People are scared to really plant a flag somewhere and say like, this is what we're fucking doing. That's crazy. Cause, uh, one of the things that I, I don't remember what comedian it was that I was talking about this with, but like, I, <clears throat> I feel like now there's like no, like older comedians. You know, or not like, you know what I mean? Not older, but like, uh, there's not like a lot of comedy mentors out there that can like show you the way. A lot of them are like, like literally still like just figuring it out too. You know yeah. I mean? And so it's like when I started, there was like, there was like comedians who were like a little, like who had been doing it for like 15 years or something like that. But like now, like, I don't know, Tim's. He's at like 10, but he started when he was like 17 and he moved to Columbus. So he's not Tim? Tim's Alex Tim's. Okay. Um, but like, other than that, I feel like most of them are like under 10, you know what I mean? And a lot of times people say it takes 10 years to even find your voice. So it's like, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's like we, uh, you know, Gilly is someone that I would say is like, uh, you guys like Gilly, Kenny. Uh, um, yeah, I was going to say, but like, there's not like a, a lot of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the thing about mentorship is very weird because like I'm at a position now to where I manage artists in different fields uh -huh. and I have a lot of people often come to me for advice. Um, but I think the only reason I'm in a position to give advice is because I listen to a lot of people that w I could look at as my students. But I don't look at them like that. And we're all on the same ladder. Yeah. Some people are above you. Some people are below you. But we're all moving on it. And our position is always changing. And a lot of older people get this sort of stature of like, well, I've put my time in. I know what I know. There's nothing new to learn here. Um, but meanwhile, you're part of a feedback loop of information. And now you just close the loop off. You know, you can't teach young people your lessons so they can put them into action so they can create new things that you can go like, oh, shit, I didn't think of that because I'm an old fuck and I'm running out of ideas. You know what I mean? Like not saying anybody yeah. we mentioned is an old fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an old fuck. You know what I mean? But I'm just saying like that's the way I look at it as like, yo, man, if you are claiming to be a mentor and all that you're probably an old fuck, too. Yeah. And it's like your machine's getting rusty. Yeah. And it takes younger ideas, younger fuel in the tank to really do that. But also like, you know, Columbus is a very political city. And, and I don't mean like American politics, yeah. but I mean like the politics of the city. Yeah. And um, I think Columbus lacks a lot of media. We have very bad media right now. Okay. You know, Andy Downing just left Columbus alive. I think that's gonna possibly create a big opening or vacuum for journalism in the city and stuff like that. I try to look at things three-dimensionally or four-dimensionally. You know, I try to look at it to where it's like, who's this artist I'm booking? What is their perception like on social media? I don't really fuck with artists that just want to, 
you know, if it's a comedian, it's different because they're supposed to push the boundaries and shit like that. But I don't really like artists that are out here saying just wild, disrespectful shit. You know what I mean? Any kind of racist, homophobic, transphobic type opinions. Type stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah like, <laughs> now that's and even that's a different situation because that's there's difference. I support a lot of artists that speak their mind very okay. vividly and loudly and they get themselves in a lot of trouble. But I fuck with that because I'm the same type of person. Yeah. yeah. But there are just some people that it's like they post um, misogynistic shit or just like some shit that I'm just like. Look, man, this is beyond the point of agreeing or not agreeing. This yeah. is like, as an artist, how is this helping you? How yeah. is this helping you get fans? Like, you're only closing the loop again. Exactly. You know what I mean? Um, and now when it comes to comedians, though, I mean, there are there are plenty of racist, transphobic, homophobic jokes I've laughed at. You know what I mean? Like, uh -huh. comedy is just a different beast. Yeah. And I think comedians should be allowed to say literally whatever they want. And they have to deal with the consequences of that. That's the world we live in now. But yep, when, you're, when you're... I, I've, dealt with I've dealt with consequences, yeah. all right. <laughs> when you're a musical artist, though, it's just a little different. Also, I don't, I've never loved when artists uh, that kind of aren't out the gate as political. You yeah. know, there are artists that it's like, dude, I'm a political artist. And it's like, that's cool. I get that. Okay. But there's a lot of artists that, and I've seen this happen too, and this happened a lot in the Columbus comedy scene of, it's a lot of clapping and cheering, <laughs> but it's not a lot of laughing. Dude, oh and man. And it's a lot yeah. of uh, saying very agreeable political opinions and calling it a joke. Dang, it's like, son. I don't, uh, I mean, hey, to each their own, get it how yeah. you can, whatever. But, uh, and it seems to be working for a lot of people yeah. and good for them. You know, I, I don't wish and anybody. And it sucks too, because as a comedian, sometimes you're trying to do a joke and you're like making a political statement, like in jest, yeah. or, or, you know, or you're not, you're not like trying to make it anything. And then people start clapping. You're like, dude, don't do that. Yeah. Like, that's not what this is. And like, it's like when you even <laughs> tread in that water, that is sort of inevitable. almost. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I consider myself a politically aware person. I pay attention to what's going on in the world and I watch the news and stuff like that. And I try to educate myself on things. And um, I don't feel any need, though, to tell people about it online. Number one on the space of like, I do err far more on the progressive side of things than not anymore. And I do kind of understand like, uh, there's just a lot of situations I'm in and situations where people are talking about certain issues that it's like, as a white dude, the best thing for me to do is sh just shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, I don't need to shout over everybody. I don't need to make sure everybody knows I'm the most not racist and I'm, <laughs> I'm the biggest ally and all that. Like. So much of the shit is so performative and stuff like that. And it's just like, I just think that people, not even that they shouldn't talk about it. You know, people can do whatever the fuck they want. But it's like, usually the people that kind of shout the loudest about that stuff are sort of the first to get targeted for breaking that sort of standard mm -hmm. that they set for themselves. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, I have booked plenty of trans artists. I've booked plenty of gay artists and whatever the fuck you want to you know group you want to talk about but it's like i never did it because they were that thing yeah but it's like i did uh, it and it's not to say like oh bro i'm just colorblind like i don't even see it that's not it it's really just more of a matter of like i am fortunate enough to live in the realm where it's like 
art comes from anybody with a beating heart. Anybody mm -hmm. can be a great artist. I don't have to worry about their race or gender or sex exactly. or anything like that. And it's like, I want to hear art from every type of person. I want to hear, you know, what music or what their perspective is. That's what art is. It's someone expressing their inner perspective on it. And it's like, we can all list our fucking pronouns on our bios and shit like that on Instagram. And we can all do this profile picture shit and all this other stuff. But it's like, I think it really just comes down to the world's only going to be better if you're treating the people actually like that yeah. in your life. Like yeah. so many of the people I know that do that make such a big deal about posting Black Lives Matter shit and, you know, putting that in their bio and all this other stuff. It's like, dude, you know zero black people. You hang out with no <laughs> black people. You don't, you can't stand actual black culture when you're face to face with it and around it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's very, very weird and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, I know that I'm not in a position to tell anybody how to live and I'm not in a position, you know, like I didn't, really meet a black person or speak to one until I was probably 15, 16 years old. And then all of a sudden I was just thrust into the world of hip hop and stuff like that. And I know there were so many things that I was insensitive to and ignorant to and didn't understand. And like, I'm lucky that I was able to spend time in a different culture and with different people that really opened my country ass eyes up. You know what I mean? I grew up around cornfields and shit, yeah. but I didn't grow up in a racist household. You know what I mean? But it was just like, when you're in a town where everyone's white, how do there's yeah. no test exactly. sample of anyone else. And it's just like, yeah, police brutality. I'm, yeah. I'm sure <laughs> cops are just fair to everybody. Right. And it's just like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like in a small town where yeah. everybody, and it's just like, uh, so I don't know, man, I think the important thing to do is if you want to support people that are doing that, you know, I, I try to ask my friends that are in that world. If it's like, Hey, is this something that, you think I should even speak on or whatever. And I try to speak on things that are pertinent to the w world of music and booking mm -hmm. because, you know, race and gender and, you know, politics do all intersect with music as well, you know? Um, so I just try to, I try to be sensitive about stuff like that. You know, I really do. And I don't love hearing a lot of transphobic jokes and, and homophobic jokes and stuff like that. And a lot of the comedians I really fuck with, do make jokes like that and i don't think they're terrible people for it and stuff yeah. like that but it's like that's what it comes down to being an individual and just understanding like i am offended at this joke it does it doesn't sound good to my ears it doesn't sit right in my stomach and stuff like that but they're an artist and they're taking that risk you know they have to sleep at night with that yeah you know like you can't put that on me and stuff like that. And there's some stuff that you just can't help to laugh at because it's a great, <laughs> well-constructed <laughs> yeah. joke, you know? And who's your favorite artist? Mm. If you were going to say that you, like, you were, like you're going to get in your car, you're not, like, in any mood, you're just going to listen to a song or anything, what is the artist that you go to? It would be one of these three bands. All right. It would be Queens of the Stone Age. Okay. The Deftones okay. or Nine Inch Nails. Okay. I am that guy. Okay. <laughs> um, those three artists have, to me, the best discographies to where it's like, I literally like every album they've ever done. Um, with the exception of the Deftones, Nine Inch Nails, and Queens of the Stone Age have had a different sort of lineup every few albums, but mm -hmm. the chief songwriter stays the same. So they evolve in a really like sort of safe, but cool, interesting way. 
Um, and the Deftones are just like, I was fucking 14 in 2003. <laughs> like, <laughs> that shit just spoke to me. It was just like, there's something about that music that captures you when it when you're a teenager but doesn't go away when you get older because it's still very mature music okay but it was packaged in a sort of angry new metal way but there's so many interesting things going on with the deftones sonically that so many people that are my age now in the music world in big bands and metal they're all citing deftones as a reference like it's been so great watching the deftones really get their flowers still and Nine Inch Nails and Queens of the Stone Age, like all those bands are still going fucking strong. And like, it just, it gives me a lot of hope internally, but like, yeah. So <clears throat> if you're into those types of bands, what made you transition into rap? Well, I mean, th that's the thing. Like the whole favorite artist question is like a kind of bullshit thing. Cause like number four on the list is The Roots. Okay. And so my number one favorite rapper is Black Thought. Like he's the reason when I heard him start rapping, I was like, I want to do this. And I'd been listening to hip hop for a long, long time. It was one of the first genres I ever started listening to. Um, but I don't know. I feel like hip hop means so much. It's means something so much different to me than other genres of music. Other genres of music are like something to listen to, but hip hop was something I was like, no, I have to be a part of this. Like I have to be in the mix of this because it's not just a genre of music. It is truly a culture there, you know, is clothing, graffiti art, the dancing, you know, there's so many avenues of it that yeah. is still hip hop. If that makes sense. Okay. Rock music. I didn't identify with the way they dressed. I didn't identify with like, I wasn't angry all the time that I had. I, <laughs> I like rock music that was sexy. That's why I like Queens of the Stone Age. I like rock music with sex appeal to it. Rock music that fucking chicks can dance to. You know what I mean? That people can dance to and that it's fun. But a lot of heavy music now just isn't fun. Yeah. It's just heavy for the sake of being heavy. And, you know, I watched it happen when I was younger and 20 and fucking rah, just full of anger and rage. I listened to a lot of really heavy, heavy music, but then I watched that it became sort of where like sound nerds flocked to. And then like dubstep kind of became a thing that I was interested in in like 2011, 2012. And then like, that's where all the sonic nerds went over there. And people that are literally just like, how can we break the rules of conventional sound and make this shit sound like a new type of low or whatever. And that's cool and stuff to me, but I was never a tech guy. I was never like a, Oh, it's crazy. They engineered this whole new crazy sound. To me, it was always just about the feeling. Yeah. You know, like you look at a band like the White Stripes, they needed a fucking guitar and a mic and a drum set. And they sold tens of millions of records. You know, they didn't need a bunch of extra bullshit and all this other stuff to do it. So different strokes for different folks. But, you know, hip hop to me, uh, there's not a lot of like, you don't see Jimmy Page or fucking Neil Young or those guys like owning the record labels that they got signed to, you know, but you did see that in hip hop a lot. Hip hop was, it was a genre of music that it encouraged people helping their own and in, okay. encouraged, uh, you know, putting your people on. And in terms of like, you know, what master P did master P as soon as, you know, he started selling tens of millions of records. The record label came to him. They're like, hey, you want your own record label? He was like, yeah, that's fine. I'm going to sign these nine people. They're all popping as fuck because they were like literally his like cousins and like people he grew up with. But 
their team was so brolic that you could sell a million records being anybody if you just knew Master P. This is yeah. the, this is the mid '90s. Selling a million records was like a lot of people were doing that, but. He ended up finessing a label out of like $20 million because he was signing all his cousins and shit to the label with these album advances. And he was keeping the produ the promotion costs because promotion costs traditionally with record labels meant you just bribe record labels. It was like $2 million out of your you know deal that you had to pay back of record sales to just pay some dude to take your fucking CD to, uh, to radio stations and just bribe them, just flat out fucking pay them $10,000 in cash and then to play your fucking song. And it was, it's Paola <laughs> every fucking three years. There's a new scandal of it that comes out. I mean, it happens all of the time. It's just the way the business works, dude. You got to bribe people to pay your song. But he was like, I know the fucking guys at the radio station that they're going to fly to. Like, I already know all of them. So he's like, I'll fucking charge the label for these million and a half dollar promotion budgets on 10, 12 fucking artists I just signed. And then I'm just going to pocket all the money. And he finessed the labels out of like 12 to 20 million dollars oh shoot yeah like and there's a big tradition in hip-hop of artists finessing labels of uh, you know like what frank ocean did was a legendary thing like it's true sweet served cold revenge you know like record labels had tried to keep frank ocean tied up as a songwriter forever and uh because he was writing hits he was writing hit songs and labels generally when they have a person that can do that they don't want you to become your own star. Yeah. They're like, yo, we got to be on sale already. We've got whoever and they need fucking hits because they don't write their own shit. So finally gets out of the fucking industry. And this is like a rough telling of the story. Yeah. Um, and Tyler, the creator, picks him up and signs him because like, I think he was sort of blackballed at other labels and they were just like, hey, don't sign this guy. Fucking blah, blah, blah. Or it might have been a contractual thing. Who the fuck knows? Long story short, Frank Ocean gets signed, gets big, becomes Frank Ocean. His final album to get out of his contract with these labels. He basically recorded a three-hour video of him building a staircase. Like, sawing the wood, nailing it, and like, it's spiral. It might have just been a straight staircase. I don't know if it was spiral. And then the, the album itself is just tracks of silence of just him doing that. And... Uh, then at the very end, he climbs up the staircase. Now, contractually, he met all the obligations of his final album. But it's literally just like this abstract art thing that no one's ever really going to listen to. And then the very next day, he dropped his real next album himself uh. as an independent artist. And he got so many millions of dollars <laughs> uh, off of the back of the label's promotion hype for his next thing, the label putting, you know, all the money into the marketing and shit that they oh, did. Oh, shit. But he hated them anyway, so he was like, fuck you guys, I'm taking this. And then he used that. That's savage. Him. Yeah. Holy shit. Yo, this business is savage, man. Holy shit. But that's my genre. That's hip-hop. So, I love it. So you went from rap to mm -hmm. then promoting the shows yeah and how so how did that evolve because that sounds like sounds like a basic office job like you started off as a grunt worker started <laughs> as the, went to the manager and um, now you're a booking agent so dude i just like was was just like where the fuck is the money coming from like i would sell tickets i would have people show up to the shows i'd perform the shows would go well but I, and I was getting paid, but I wasn't, like, making money. And I was also like, who oh. the fuck is actually in charge here? <laughs> Most of these suck. Like, I got booked a lot when I was a rapper. But 
I, a lot of the shows, first two and a half, you know, three years I was doing them, it was just other people running it. And I just realized like, oh, this isn't a fluke thing. This isn't an uncommon thing. Most people suck at throwing live events. And I need, and I had two and a half years of lessons of what not to do. And it was February of 2017 when I threw my first like event event. I had two like sort of test embryonic type events that I had done in years past. But you know what I was talking about with my high school situation, like I just, I sort of had a party house in high school and all of my friends were musicians. I was a drummer. All my friends were guitarists and pianists. And, and so like, for the better part of four years, every single Friday and Saturday, I had like 40 to 60 kids in my house and we were just jamming and I was just jamming That's with savage. different musicians the whole time. So it didn't even occur to me that I already sort of had this experience in managing a live event or a crowd. I always loved throwing house parties. Like I okay. definitely loved the partying lifestyle for a long part of my life, but I'm an old fuck now and I just don't like it as much. But, um, Love throwing house parties. I just like managing events was just not a tricky thing to me. So I threw the first one. Uh, shout out my dude, Dan Rios. Best lighting guy ever. Fucking, he got me Brothers Drake. And we got like 175, 180 people in there. And it was a banger ass show. And it was just, um, you know, I put a lot of work and time into curating the lineups. You know, I, I had a very good understanding of who was good in the scene. Because I was in the scene. And... I really tried to never make myself the forefront of the shows. The only reason I think I had any success as a promoter is because I didn't make it about me. I just chose to host. Sometimes if I performed, I would generally just go first. So no one had to go first. Um, but a lot of promoters, that's their mistake. Is they're like, oh, I'll learn how to throw shows and I'll start throwing shows and then just put myself on at the best slot every night. But it's like, then what, dude? <laughs> Like, then what? You didn't fucking... People really think that just being in front of the crowd is enough. Like, if I just get in front of all these people, they'll understand my brilliant <laughs> warrior poetry. But it's like, yo, 12 people ignored you just last weekend. Oh, shit. You know, That's you couldn't funny. captivate 12 people? Wow. And 12 people's harder to do sometimes. Than, oh, you yeah. Know, crowds, sure. <laughs> big crowds are easy. There's social pressure involved. But it's also just that like... Just because you can entertain the crowd doesn't mean you can retain the crowd as fans. That's that's interesting because, you know, I would agree with that wholeheartedly, you know. I would say that, you know, doing jokes at the Funny Bone is a lot easier in front of, you know, 200 people than it is to yeah. do it in front of five at the Shrunken Head. And you four know? of them already know who you are. Exactly. like, oh, fucking. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it's like, um, but that's, but it's also like, because this is like a thing that like we talk about, um, because uh like simon simon you know shout out to him he was saying on his podcast podcast episode is like you know you might try a new joke in front of five people and it's not going to work yeah but you might do it in front of 300 and it will work yeah and and so it's like a fine you know edge of like trying to find it's like 
Okay, so if I can get it to work for 300 people, how do I get it to now work for five people? Well, and it's like I said, it's like the social pressure, and it's like a numbers game, too. Yeah. You know, 300 people in the room, the likelihood that somebody's going to But at the same time, I would love to get it down to where I'm like, oh, okay, five people are in here. I can handle this. Like, See, that's the thing that's so impressive to me about stand-up comedians. And, like, I have tried acting, and I, most artistic things I've ever tried, I've been pretty good at. I don't think I could be in my head. I think I could be a great stand-up comedian, but my real like reality brain knows like, don't ever fucking try and be a stand-up comedian. Dude, dude don't ever. That's try. funny. Tony I, Casa, you know, Tony Casa, yeah. he, when he was on, he said that stand-up comedy was the hardest thing that he's done in his life. Second to concrete. And yeah. in concrete might be. Second. I've never yeah. even done really stand-up. Ian Miller had me on one of his shows. Okay. Uh, the storyteller shows. Okay. And I'm a good fucking storyteller, yeah. so I know I could crush with a story. That, yeah. You know, um, and I can be podcast funny, and I can be conversation funny. I always talk to comedians about this a lot. Is it's really important to find out what kind of funny you are. Um, some people are really funny on stage and dull as shit off the of stage and just not funny. Some people are funny in a conversation, good on stage. Some people are really funny on camera. Some people are really funny on a page. They can write funny stuff. Some people are funny on a tweet. Some people are funny in a TikTok. But, you know, list those things out. And that's sort of your NBA 2K, like, stat sheet. Okay. That's sort of like your, if you had to create a your character. Pros. Yeah. And it's okay. like, there are comedians that, you know, really focus on their core strengths of like writing acting or writing and stand up or whatever it is but like different kinds of funny exist and they don't all translate and it's very important to find which of those pockets you do exist in because that is going to be the key to your career in this business because you're not really in the if you want to stick to just stand up and just stand up alone you're in the stand-up comedy business and you're in a business that hasn't really fundamentally changed in 70 years. I mean, the shit's pretty much works the same since like the Lenny Bruce days and like fucking, you know, it's one person on stage, tickets, asses in the seats, <laughs> like yeah. stand-up comedy show. Fundamentally, it hasn't changed. Booking hasn't changed. It's a very old entrenched business. And um, music and other things like that, dude, it changes every fucking two years now. But comedians don't understand that they're stepping out. Even if you are just a stand-up comedian, you are being pushed out into the realm with the rest of us of the, I call it the super genre. Yeah. The mega, like the Ulta mega genre of like, uh, it doesn't matter, bro. If you're on social media, you have to be somehow proficient at reels or TikToks or making some kind of content. But we are all content creators now. That is the most buzzwordy lame fucking douchey business thing to say i get it i fucking hate it too bro it's fucking art it's not content bro don't yeah. call it content it's like yes it fucking is bro it's content it is because that's how the fucking suits and ties look at it and no matter what those are the people we've always had to please until we stop being broke asses and fucking up and not caring about business the suits and ties will always run our lives this is an inevitable fact of the universe the problem is, is suits and ties back in the day, you used to know they were suits and ties. 
the suits and ties now think they're fucking clever and they wear fucking vans and they yeah. like think they know about art but it's like you're still just a money guy you're still just a buzzwordy business guy that's so that's insane that you say that because you know one of the things that you know i have talked about with people um about like funny bone is that like you know the funny bone has become this thing that's not it's like still comedy club but like people who not aren't necessarily comedians are now booking shows there yeah because like they make content Dude, we have youtubers that get booked at scully's we have youtubers that sell out scully's same at the funny moment and it's <laughs> like, just like yeah but why wouldn't they i know why wouldn't they more people but fucking know about them than exactly. the people that's like man one fan at a time every mic i do i'm getting a little uh, closer it's like fuck because uh, i mean we had we had like harry mack at the funny bone we had uh casey fry or frey maybe yeah, yeah i was gonna he, say shane has opened up for him a couple we times. have a, a christian group i think coming in just like at, like it's insane it's just like the people like you said the people that can sell the tickets are the ones that are getting but in. it's like they found their type of funny they found it they're funny exists on the internet but then they're like hmm i wonder if i could translate this into a new live yeah. type of funny yeah and then you're in the realm of it's not even about being funny it's about star power yeah because also no matter what whether you're a comedian musician uh it's all live entertainment yeah you know whether you're the fucking circus delay whether you're a fucking uh pen and teller whether whatever it is it's live entertainment it's all the same business and i always try to tell people that that like I don't work in the music business. I don't like I do in a lot of tangential ways, but I work in the live entertainment business. That's really where I make my money from okay. is getting people on stages, getting people through the door. Okay. So it's just it's a very specific distinction that a lot of people don't understand that it's like my business is not to follow who's necessarily selling the most records. You know, it's like I work for venues. I have to get people that are the right fit for Scully's Double Happiness, Newark Station you know, the places that I work for. So I guess now that you are like a booker and a promoter, or, you know, you've done promoting, you are a booking agent right now. Um, you have like a better like view of the landscape, but like how, explain to me, how does one read the atmosphere of like what's hot, what's popping? And like, dude, I'm not even all that great at it. Okay. Like I, um, because my thing is now, I've sort of gone up one rung on the ladder to where I don't have to build the shows myself. I just have to find the people that build the shows. Okay. So <clears throat> there are a lot of people with ears closer to the ground than me now. Two years ago, ears very close to the ground. But it doesn't work that way as much now because my ears close to the ground with who's building events and who is bringing people through the door. My ears close to the ground is who's coming through Ohio in the fall to try and get them booked, whatever. You know what I mean? But as far as paying attention to local stuff and the local landscape of Columbus, dude, that's like, you're asking me how a watch works. <laughs> you know, I just try to look at the time. It's fucking a fickle city, dude. And I can tell you that there's no other city, at least for 500 miles, that's anything like Columbus, Ohio, in terms of being hard to fucking please. That's why the promoters and the artists and the people that come from here, usually when they go other places, they fucking do damage, like in a good way. They fucking get shit done because like they're here in the fucking gladiator school, uh, you know, and they've been toughing it out against really, really competitive people and really, you know, I don't know. In the music business right now, the live music business in Columbus is 
I don't want to say it's cutthroat in terms of like people stabbing each other in the backs and fucking each other over, but it's just cutthroat in terms of how competitive, you know, everyone, there's a lot of people that make their living in this business. And that creates a sense of desperation and a sense of hunger of like, yeah, I'm out here in the fucking jungle with a knife in my teeth, like trying to find the next kill. You know what yeah. I mean? And that's what booking a show is to me. You know, it's like, that's what putting numbers on the board is is you know it's like all right we got another one on the calendar that's a night the bartenders get to work that's a night the sound guys get to work that's a night i get paid for that's a night you know what i mean like yeah. that's the business i'm in now and the position in my company because i have people that throw shows for me now but my job still chiefly is to talk with the venues and help manage the in-house booking of venues because a lot of venues i go to they already have great promoters that they have relationships with and i'm not trying to get in the way of that I'm trying to make their Tuesdays work. I'm trying to make their Wednesdays the nights of the week that, you know, everybody wants a fucking Friday and Saturday. Yeah. You know, but that's why you shouldn't, if you're starting out, do them because everyone's doing shit on Friday and Saturday. Interesting. Okay. Um, let me see. Uh, so I saw that you started recently a uh, little, I don't I don't. I don't know exactly what it, would you consider it. Comedy, I don't gravity, bong news. Yeah, I don't know what I was doing with it, but I just knew I needed to. <laughs> it. Um, what I really what gravity bong news is is a promotion platform. I'm really trying to turn it into something that's basically like a mix between world star hip hop and the Onion or like the Hard Times. Like, okay, I want to be able to do like satirical news based comedy about Columbus and our scene here. But I also want to be able to use that to promote artists that are around here. And so, okay. you know, the people I have done them for, you know, it's basically like branded sponsored content. You know what I mean? Like people pay me. I think of the idea we come up with that, you know, if they want to promote their song, their show, their whatever. So that's really what it actually exists at. I just haven't really announced that yet and like said a bunch about that. But. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if people want to do them with me, I charge money and I'm willing to do <laughs> nice, it. Huh? But uh, yeah, like I just, um, I love making funny content. It's really, really fun. It exercises a part of my brain that like I don't get to exercise very often. And I think a lot of times people, if they, if you've met me in the past fucking year, I probably come off like insufferably serious and fucking annoying. Um but like, I love laughing and having fun. And that's why I love being around comedy and stand-up comedians. Like my sort of forte or foray into it in terms of booking those shows and getting into the scene and getting to really know people was such a good time in my life. And it was such a fun thing to do. And I love, you know, yeah. I go to comedy shit when I want to actually hang out. And like comedians are the people I actually want to be around. When I'm in music, I'm just there because I'm working. Not to say that I don't love all the people that fucking I talk to on the patio and music, but uh, if I'm like socially going to just hang out and chill, I would rather do it at a fucking comedy club or. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say, um, you said that if you met you in the past year, you seem kind of serious or whatever. It's yeah. Like, I like there are a there are a few people that I actually like, not like was would say nervous to ask to be on the podcast, but I was just like, ah, these guys are probably way too busy. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's just like really funny. Cause, uh, like I, I was hanging out with dusty recently and he was hanging out with Adam 
And he was like, have you met Adam Little yet? And I was like, I've like seen him around or whatever. He's like, have you had him on a podcast? I was like, no. And he's like, oh, dude, he'll do the podcast. And I was like, that's rude. Like, don't just do that. Because it's like, you know what I mean? Like, it, even Hood Panda, you know what I mean? Yep. I just had Hood Panda on. It's like, these guys, you know, actually have followings. It's like, they're busy. They're, in my mind, you know, it's like they're making content all the time. And it's like, yeah. and in my mind, it's like, you guys don't have time for, you know, a podcast that has a hundred followers. So I it's am, like, I am busy. Yeah. But I am also a narcissist. And so ah, I okay. always have time to talk about myself. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah. I always have time to talk that about makes sense. myself. Yeah. Um, but I will say, yeah, it's like, like I said, not nervous. If your podcast sucked, I would not say yes. Okay. I oh, mean, yeah. like I, I do get offers to go on podcasts and I look at them and I'm just like, eh, shitty. Oh, just not even shitty. So, I shouldn't so that's, say that. So that's but. actually what it was. What he d- was actually doing was he was like, he, he accepted the offer. He's like, wait, wait, wait. I haven't even listened to this yet. And then he's like, then he listened to it. And he's like, no, oh, yeah, I was aware it. of your podcast oh, yeah. before you asked me. Oh, dude. I, I, I was already, I was already aware. When I see that someone has started a podcast, I take a big interest in it. Okay. And, um, yeah, I was going to say like my, my biggest thing for like this podcast is that like, um, you know, I am a comedian, but the one thing that. Um, because I took a break from art for like a while, I got to live with a musician. I got to hang out with like different set. I went to college for like software development and stuff like that. So I know all these different people Yeah, and it's like, for me, it's, I, I love comedy, but the one thing that I love the most is like when you're talking to somebody and you're like, Oh, what are you into? And they're like, ah, like I'm into this like thing. It's kind of stupid, but like, this is what I'm yeah, into. And it's I'm like, like, dude, no, 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 no. Ta- Open yeah. that up. Yeah. Tell me what you're exactly. fucking, what, like, I want to know what turns people on. Exactly. I want to know what turns them on. Just like whether it's fucking ant farms, whether it's <laughs> dude, fucking 11th century poetry, whether it's whatever, like, dude, I just want to hear about what turns people on. Exactly. In and like podcasting is such a good fucking way to do that. Cause like, dude, there's like, I've always wanted to do a food podcast. Oh, like really? I could create a whole different series of movie podcasts. Like I am obsessed with movies, dude, creepily obsessed with movies. And like, I know that's where my career is going. Like I'm trying to steer the whole ship of my career, like into film. Okay. And, um, cause like I was, you know, I'm, I'm approaching 10 years in this like music journey of mine. And, um, I have gotten enough signals that this is just not where I need the rest of my life to be. Okay. Um, you know, I have a child on the way. Oh, wow. Um, Congrats. Thank you. I'm very, very excited. I know it's going to be a very life changing thing. And so, you know, film is just like, I've wanted to do it since I was seven years old. I've wanted to direct movies since I was seven years old and I've always felt that way. I've never lost it, but like. I've just realized that I've been very timid and cowardly in actually stepping into that world like I have, like I did with music, you know? And so I I just realized that the time is coming in my life that I have to dive into the film world like I did with music, but it's just a way different game. So I'm trying to make, make sure my company is stable, that I can survive on its own with the people that, you know, my people can run it. And they can still benefit from it. I can still benefit from it. But I can really put my creative energy in that. Because shout out to my dude, Trevor, man. He put me in this short film last year. And, you know, we've won, like, quite a few fucking awards already for this oh, wow. film. Okay. And, like, 
the first one we won was best actor in this like international film festival and shit. Oh and shit. I, Congrats. Acting is the hardest thing I've ever had to do, hands down. Like artistically, it's it's so fucking difficult and draining. And uh, I don't particularly want to be an actor. I know that I'm, it's going to be something I'm going to keep doing because it, it can be really interesting and really, really fun uh, and fulfilling artistically. Like, uh, But yeah, to do it like the way real actors do it, you would need to pay me fucking millions of dollars to go through <laughs> that shit, dude. It's excruciating. It Especially is. if you got to wear makeup or anything. Like, dude, it's a fucking different beast. But actually being a part of some like official kind of film stuff and seeing... I know a lot more about that world now, and I've been in that world a lot more now. Uh, I definitely know it's where my life is going. And so it's like, I'm just trying to slowly get there. And I want to act in more stuff because it's like, not because I want to be an actor, but as a director, I need to be able to communicate with actors. I need to be able to yeah. speak their language the same way as a promoter. I can speak to performers. I know what their fears are. I've been a performer. You know what I mean? As a booking agent, I can speak to a promoter because I've been a promoter before. I know what their fears are. You know what I mean? They're, and it really, that's what it comes down to. What are people's fears and what are their real desires and motivation? Because they're manifesting those things in real time every single day they're alive. And you got to figure out which part of the slipstream you're in. I probably sound like a crazy <laughs> person. Um, <laughs> no, you're good, dude. This uh, is what happens when you drink a fucking um, tall boy white. No, color. but really quick, Do we have to go. No, uh, tell us about uh, at work real quick. Uh, that's like your thing, right? Yeah, the at work agency. It's it's my it's my business. It's a little talent agency. Um, if you have shows or an event idea, come to us. If you're an artist and you want to get on events, come to us. Uh, if you're an artist and you want management, come to us. But no promises. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, hit up, uh, we got Leah, Sammy, they both handle most of the rock stuff. I don't have their Instagrams like on hand. They And Michael, those three handle most of the rock and emo to metal stuff. My guy Toof hit him up for any hip hop shows. My guy Jared hit him up for any alt hip hop shows. Also some metal rock stuff. I'm just trying to get all my bases covered with genres and have real booking agents on hand that like can really build the type of events that people want to have and are going to stick out and stuff like that so it's really about paving the road man like stability gives you money stability is like my fucking eyelid is like twitching right now <laughs> that's so weird did you see that um half of the reason post-world war ii that the world has made as much money as it has and wealth has been generated like a big part of global capitalism is the u.s navy the U.S. Navy keeps trade ships safe. Those ships arrive on time. That means milk on the shelf at a reliable time. Everybody can count on it. When you can count on things being there next week, it creates stability. It used to be promoters and people throwing shows did not know where their next gig was coming from. They had a one-off relationship with somebody that was kind of gatekeeping the venue. And that was their one little way in. And that person took their tax off the top and... You know, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to create a smooth, paved road, you know what I mean, between cities in Ohio and the Midwest that people can book tours easier, smaller, cheaper. Okay. You know what I mean? To create stability because you have to do things with frequency. The ships that bring the goods to the port, the metaphor of that with artists is you bringing the goods to port is your art, your thing, your music. 
You know what I mean? You have to bring that to the venue so everybody can benefit. You know, the venue's the port, the fucking people. They're the people that consume the product. People need to consume live music. They need to consume shows. They want to go there. How do we get those to people cheaper, more effectively with a higher level of quality? So many people just stop at the promoter level and they're like, well, how do I get three shows a month and blah, 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 blah. I don't want to do that. I want to open the gate. So the venues are benefiting because they're booked fucking 21 to 26 days out of the month. You know what I mean? And they've got people coming through the door buying drinks and shit like that. Artists are benefiting because they don't have to burn out their one fan base in a the city. They can go two hours to the next place. You know what I mean? Like I've worked tirelessly for years now to create a system that can benefit every level of it. And the last piece of the puzzle is really stepping into bigger, very expensive headliner shows. And we are getting there slowly but surely, but that is a much tougher thing to break into. Yeah. So, but the one thing I want to leave people with and any musicians or even comedians watching this, you are, if you're an opener, if you're a younger person, you are still the key secret to these shows with big identifiable names on them. Half the tickets are being sold by the locals. It's not just name recognition. You know what I mean? That's mostly what I see with these bigger shows that are selling three to 500 tickets at Scully's. They're being propped up by the locals and the openers and the people that have a grassroots following here. But if you can build that same kind of following in another city, like why haven't you already started? You know, like why not? Cincinnati has a fucking booming comedy scene. Yeah. Cincinnati has comedians. Dayton has a great comedy scene. People go down there all the time. It's an hour and an hour and a half away. What the fuck are people waiting for? It's not even a full tank of gas. <laughs> know. You know what I mean? So it's like, but that's why like I'm working on getting permanent venues in Cincinnati right now and in Cleveland. And, you know, it took years of footwork and groundwork to fucking be, have a presence in those cities to where when you pop up at an event, people are like, oh shit, you're the, the, the dude with the, the you know, yeah, like, okay. you got to do that to then when the eighth time you're there, they're like, oh, what up, bro? Blah, blah, blah. To where the 10th, 15th time you're there people are like so where do you live around here and you don't even live around there nice you know okay. like a lot of people thought i lived in cincinnati for a long time because i was really down there two three times a month for shows i fucking love it down there big shout out to the whole city of cincinnati um but you know we're in a great position just in a little 500 mile loop right around columbus if you draw a circle there are about fucking 15 to 20 million people you know, from Pittsburgh to Indianapolis, from fucking Detroit down to Louisville, there's like 15 million fucking people that live right there. And that's, I mean, and this is nothing, if, you, if you're if you a fan of Sam Rothstein on podcast, sorry, this is like the thing you've heard before and you're fast forwarding. <laughs> but I never shut the fuck up about this because it's so goddamn true. Like, yo, we are the heart of it all. Like, it means something for a reason. Everything comes through here. Everything connects through here. There's so many fucking like, you know, hubs of businesses that are here now. We're a huge test market for that very reason. We're very culturally bland. So a lot of different influences and different things come in here and can succeed. We're insanely racially diverse, way more so than even big cities people would think of like Boston or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, we have so many different cultural influences. Like, yo, we have the shit to do this. But what we don't have is real fucking leadership. All we right. don't have real leadership and people willing to put their neck on the line and say the fucking buck stops here.
All right. So. Well, <laughs> you're Sam. Like, All right, shut the fuck up before <laughs> no, you have no, another crazy rant. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, Sam, where can we find you? What's your Instagram? What's your uh, My Instagram stuff? is at Sam Rothstein Official. You can just go and follow all the other shit in my bio for that. Um, and uh, come to some shows at Scully's or Double Happiness or Newark Station. Big shout out to everybody that works with me, everyone that works for me. Uh, I love you all and I hope you guys have a great day. Dude, shout out to dude, White Claw. Thank you so much. Dude, thank dude, you. This was fun. Dude, guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Help I'm High Can't Get Down. We'll fucking catch you guys next week. Word. <laughs>